Hello everyone and welcome to Radical Normal. This is Andre and I'm here with Michael and on today's episode we'll continue diving into 2 Corinthians. Today we'll be discussing 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. So right before the episode began, Andre and I got into a little debate and that was about what the middle of the month qualifies as. And Andre said it's the 18th to the 22nd. And I think the 22nd is the late, like late, uh, late time of the month. It is late. That's why I said it's the end of the middle. If it's the end of the middle, it's the late. Wait, so one question. If the actual mathematical middle of the month is the 15th or the 16th, depending on how we do the math, how is that not even part of the range for the middle of the month? <laughs> I'm, I'm more so thinking of like, you know, how people view it, you know, like, I'm like kind of taking the first through the third out of it and also the 28th through the 31st out of it, which means that the beginning of the month is really like the third through the 18th. The middle is like the 18th to the 22nd and the end is like the 22nd to the 28th. And then like those parts on the outskirts are just like the parts that just like fly by. You don't really even think about, you know? So let's say we're interviewing somebody from the, for the podcast and they say, I'm available in early august you're gonna think oh let me request to interview them on august 17th no i'm gonna <laughs> think like august 5th you know august 5th 6th you know right now it's the 24th it's it's basically it's, it's the end late. of the month like, you know, the yes month's it's late late april it, it's you you know you know it's it's basically over and by the time we get to like the 28th 29th 30th like you won't even be thinking it's this month you're just gonna be thinking about the next month you know yeah, that's how, I think that's I think that's pretty pretty accurate. I'll, I'll I'll hold to that. I think the okay maybe the middle could be a little bit closer to the fifteenth, but not that much closer because you know the first two weeks are pretty pretty early on still. I would say I'll give you the anyway, I'll give you the first two weeks, but I'm still gonna go with the math and say the middle of the month is the twelfth to the eighteenth, and maybe to the twentieth. But once it's once the date starts with a two of the month, like twenty or later, it's the it's late of that month. Yeah, I guess that's true. Well, besides that, we're both uh, struggling through the, the finals grind, so excited to get some podcast work done today over here in Georgia. It's, it's very rainy today, so it'll be perfect conditions for nap taking, not for studying and that kind of thing, unfortunately, but excited to get into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with you, dude. Yeah, right back at you. I have my, this time, not peppermint, but white mocha, or Maybe some people say white chocolate mocha. Same thing, though, white mocha. But from a local shop, Stella Nova, it's great here. Anyways, so, yeah, we can get into 2 Corinthians 4. Andre's excited to discuss the uh, jars of clay. So do you want to kick us off? Yeah, dude, let's uh, let's jump in. Let's try to go for an even 30 today. I know that's pretty important for you. <laughs> an even um, 30? <laughs> even 30 minutes, man. You're, you're saying that's really important for you. But anyway, I think it's really interesting and maybe we should start off discussing. So uh, for preparation for this episode, Michael and I both used uh, different commentaries, although Michael does have the commentary that I've been reading out of as well. But basically, there's like a, a different a difference in opinion on what's really going on in these first six or so verses. And you know, I thought we'd discuss that a little bit, aside from discussing all of the um, amazing um, truths that are in it, um, no matter like which viewpoint uh, you want to hold to or you think is going on. But I think it is very interesting that there are two different viewpoints of, of what, you know, Paul is actually doing here. Um, so I think 
it could be interesting to talk about that before we actually jump into this passage, which Michael said is one of his favorites um, to study and talk about. But basically, uh, short summary, the commentary I was reading out of thinks that this passage here is, is Paul uh, systematically uh, going through some of the criticisms that the church has of him and kind of giving his defense, you know, one by one, um, you know, you know, he says uh, throughout here, um, we refuse to practice cunning or, or to tamper with God's word. Um, and, you know, that the commentary I was reading might think like, oh, they're accusing him of, of changing things from, you know, what we talked about last week of them ascribing to, you know, the times of, of Moses and, and not really holding to this new covenant with Jesus. So then he's, you know, then he gives his defense and it kind of, the commentary I was reading says like, yes, there are all these truths in it, but ultimately he's giving a, a defense one by one of some of the criticism against criticisms against him. While the commentary that Michael's reading, actually I'll let you describe what the one that you're, you're reading is, is kind of going for. Yeah. Uh, but it is different. And I think that was really interesting. Yeah. I was trying to find the page, but I, I was failing while you were uh, discussing, but yeah. So like Andre was saying this, uh, Andre's commentator was referring to this guy is in the first six verses, basically defending himself against accusations or claims. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And so I was reading that while it could certainly be possible just because 2 Corinthians and parts of 1 Corinthians are are include Paul trying to defend the authority of his ministry and the veracity or truthfulness of it, that doesn't mean that Paul's always spending all of his time talking about it or trying to defend himself. And so while it could be that, it's more likely that he is just espousing gospel truths and how they apply to how he uh, operates in his ministry and in his life. And so either way though, like I was talking to Andre about this before we started, but uh, either way, I still feel that, I mean, I don't think that Paul is ever incidentally or accidentally pulling in like his theology or his understanding of God's grace, because the idea that as, as in verse four, that the God of this world, that Satan, the devil has blinded unbelievers, that they are veiled from the truth to use the chapter three and a little bit of chapter four's language. And then to say that God has shown in our hearts with the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, that's Paul's theology in general, that that God makes people new. That's his experience from Acts chapter nine. And as he's shared the gospel to the nations thus far. And so even if it's incidental per se, I mean, I don't think that it's incidental because I think Paul's entire life and writing is infused with his theology. So if everything's affected by that, regardless of if he's defending his ministry or not, we can still learn uh, truths that are essential to how Paul thinks about the gospel and its implications in the world. Yeah, dude, that's definitely true. And, I, and you know, like you said, no matter, you know, which view um, you think is, is, is true of, of, you know, the reason for Paul, you know, writing in this manner. But I mean, what, no matter what, which one you think, it doesn't take away from, you know, the truths that are here that we want to jump into. And there are so many really amazing things that, that Paul's writing here uh, to the Corinthians. And I mean, I guess we can just go through them uh, one by one, uh, verse by verse. I think that there's, you know, so much to, to get out of this. Um, you know, no matter if you think that Paul's defending himself or um, if he's just writing and, and giving uh, the Corinthians a, a refresher on on theology, um, since, you know, it's obvious that uh, people are trying to, to confuse them. 
But let's jump in with verse one and let's see what we can we can pull out of this. Yeah, that's good. I I agree. Yeah, we could have an entire episode on the first six verses. And like Andre is saying, chapters four and five are some of my favorite chapters in the entire New Testament. So I'm pumped about this, especially uh, as chapter four connects to chapter five, which we'll see uh, next Monday. So he begins saying, "Therefore, well." I mean, obviously, we're not into, we're not here to do specific linguistical studies, but therefore means coming off of the previous point. So, <laughs> if we read the previous verse that we are beholding the glory of God and are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's chapter 3, verse 18. If that's what he's pulling off of, then that means his understanding of the new covenant uh, ministry being greater than the old covenant ministry under Moses is impacting what he's saying in verse one, having this ministry, this new covenant ministry where he is, has an unveiled face in a way that Moses didn't. And the old, uh, old covenant Israelites didn't by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. And some translators talk about how it's not actually, we don't lose heart. Like, Oh, we just keep going. But like we, we, uh, we're not scared. We're not timid as well. So not in this is verses infused with the idea of like, we're not backing down. We have to keep going. And we see that as the as the chapter continues when he talks about how they're afflicted in every way but not crushed. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So that's all I have to say on verse 1. But I think connecting his ministry to the ministry he described in chapter 3 is very important. Yeah, for sure. And he's definitely like going back, kind of uh, not going back, but uh, some of the same themes of chapter 3, uh, specifically uh, in verse 12, I believe, where he says, uh, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Kind of like what you were saying. Um, he's saying that, you know, despite the suffering and uh, many of the things that he's talking about that have been going on with him, he uses this language of, um, he uses this language of we. So he's talking about himself and um, his crew, his buddies who are um, on these trips uh, going around with him. But he's also talking about believers in general. He's saying, you know, this inclusive, we do not lose lose heart. Um, he's not just saying that he's going to be bold. He's saying that this is kind of uh, a unified thing. We talked about uh, in previous weeks how um, Paul really has this language of partaking in, in Christ in Christ with the suffering and, um, and how he's saying here, you know, despite those things, because of this new covenant that we have through Christ, because of, um, you know, the rich mercy and, and grace of that, then he's saying, you know, we're going to continue to be bold. We're going to continue to face this head on and he's going to, you know, uh, move forward in, in that direction. Um, and uh, he, and then he, he goes on and talks in, in verse two and talks about how, um, you know, that, that he, he himself is not going to tamper with God's word that, you know, this new covenant that he's referring to that, you know, um, he himself is an apostle because of God's will. Like we talked about in the first episode, but now he's also saying that, you know, you know, he's not going to tamper. He's not tampering with God's word, that God's word is not to be uh, tampered with. It's infallible. Um, and basically he is, he's talk he continues to talk about how, um, you know, uh, some of the same themes that we talked about last week as well, uh, where, you know, the law is now, you know, in his heart and that's how he's going to, he's going to move forward. Uh, some of these things in, in, in verse three, like Michael said, um, with, you know, going from one degree of glory to another, you know, he's, he's continuing on these same themes, um, that we've seen in previous weeks, but now giving a little bit more of application to it, um, to, uh, the Corinthians. I think, I think verse two is just so important because as we talked about a little bit with 
Dr. Russell Moore, but as he's talked a lot about since that interview, as he's written uh, a bit online that I've read, is how we have people walking away from the church not because of the um, how strong or how out there or how radical our moral teachings are, but because it doesn't appear that the church actually believes its moral teachings, and so we have a lack of integrity. And so in verse 2, we see he'd commend himself, they'd commend themselves to everybody's conscience in the sight of God, and so they won't tamper with God's word, they believe it's authoritative. And so that that those people who are living in light of how God has designed them to be, they don't have anything to hide up. You think of Adam and Eve had nothing to hide, and then once they sinned, they immediately hid from God's presence. And so this contrasts with many ancient teachers and many modern teachers who are teaching for the money or for the self-glorification, and he's saying none of that matters. It's all about the fact that we have a ministry of integrity and he also talks a bit about that in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. But the fact that he understands that God has a revelation and authority that he can't go against. And so that creates some very difficult situations for his life, as he talks about for the rest of the book. But to him, that that's the implications of living a life that's commendable to everybody's conscience in God's sight. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Michael. And then I would say verses 3 and 4 kind of go together a little bit. Uh, we kind of mm-hmm. see this theme of... Um, the veil again, where he, you know, he talked about the veil over the heart. And um, here he's saying, even if our gospel is veiled, and that's really interesting because uh, like very interesting language, uh, just because, you know, before he was talking about how um, this new covenant is going to like remove this veil. And now he's saying, even if our gospel is veiled um, and you might be thinking like, Oh, what does that mean? Um, But he, he goes on and to say it is veiled to those who are perishing so he's really he's he's going to go on in verse four to talk about uh, the God of this world, and here again you might be thinking like, okay, well, what is that? Who is that? What does that mean? Well, that's Satan here, and he's talking about how Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers, and you know this in the commentary I was reading, it's, it was talking about how you know this has been Satan's plan from the beginning. Uh, it's no accident that you know Paul doesn't say that. Um, it was talked about how it's no accident that Paul doesn't say that, you know, Satan blinds, um, you know, the soul or uh, some other thing. But it says the mind, uh, you know, the thought processes, um, how um, humans like interpret the Bible. Um, talking about how, you know, deeply profound it is to to cloud the, the, the mind and judgment of, 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 of mankind. And, you know, he's saying that you know, this, this gospel, this, this veiling um, to those, you know, who don't have it, who don't understand it, whose minds um, are being blinded, you know, to them, it's going to be even more detrimental, right? And um, so here he's kind of talking about, you know, some of the importance of, of spreading the gospel um, and that kind of thing. So th- these two verses, I think, kind of really go together. I think they go together. I want to add something that w- to what you said about verse 3, about how the language is weird because it says, he's basically, like it sounds in the English language as though Paul is saying, even if the gospel is veiled, at least it's unbelievers. Yeah, exactly. Like it sounds like, well, who cares because it's not us. But I think we have to remember why Second Corinthians is written. It's not just to proclaim gospel truths in an application about Paul's ministry. It's so that Paul's ministry would be restored and integrated in fellowship with the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church does have believers that have just been sucked into some of the ways of the world with these 
false teachers that are amongst them. And so if Paul's trying to reintegrate and reform fellowship with the believers there, then he's saying it's not veiled from you, though. Like, you can see the gospel truths so that we can have fellowship once again. So I think he's trying to emphasize to them, you don't have the veil uh, over you, you have this unveiled sight that verse uh, that chapter three talks about, and since you have that unveiled sight, like that allows for our fellowship once again. And so I think that he's trying to emphasize by doing like a by talking about the negatives, he's trying to emphasize the positive. You don't have the veil, so you can uh, we can be in fellowship uh, according to the ministry in the light of the gospel. And so I agree that it's connected to verse four, the God of this world. Well, what is the God? I think the God of this world has massive implications like that that language for how we like explain who Satan is to other people and how we teach about the end times not specifically about like things that we've talked about in season 2 but in terms of like we can preach to people this age comes to an end if you read revelation 19 and 20 Satan is judged and cast into the lake of fire Satan and Satan and during the millennium Satan is bound so there's a limit to what Satan is up to yes Satan has considerable power right now first Peter 5 says he's prowling around like a lion ready to devour but we know that that all will come to an end so this gives us an opportunity as well if you're like teaching this passage or walking through it with somebody you can use this to teach about like hey all of this suffering, all of this hardship, all of this sin, it will come to an end one day when the deceiver, the dragon dragon of Revelation 12, is cast down and is thrown into the lake of fire. And so I think that helps us understand that he's saying that, I mean, this kind of gets into the later themes at the end of the chapter about how there's the temporary and, and the transient versus the eternal and the unseen. And so Satan is a temporary God, lowercase g, compared to the eternal gospel of Jesus. And so he says Satan keeps them from seeing this. Um, and it's also interesting how he ends this with the image of God. So when people hear image of God, they typically only think of Genesis 1, man and woman were made in the image of God. However, that's not really a full biblical picture because Colossians 1, Hebrews 1 in this chapter pick up and say Jesus is the image of God. And so Genesis leaves the image of God as a mystery. I mean, it can mean that God has dominion through us. Um, but at the same time, there's a mystery there due to sin and the fact that Genesis doesn't uncover it. And so we see the image of God most fully in Jesus when he appears on the scene through the incarnation. And so the fact that we see Jesus here mentioned as the image of God is pointing us to the fact that the New Testament is giving us explanation of the mystery of the image of God in Genesis chapter 1 as well. As you can see, this is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. Oh, yeah, dude. I think I think everyone can definitely tell that. And then really quickly before we jump into verses 5 and 6 uh, and the rest of, of this section here, I just wanted to point out uh, kind of how uh, we were talking about uh, last time, you know, and how you were just saying with the image of God um, and the glory of Christ and how, you know, we talked about last time, you know, you know, being more like uh, that image of, of Christ and um, in partaking in that glory. And then later on, we're even gonna we're even gonna see Paul say, you know, that you know he 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 says always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that, uh, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Um, in verse ten later on, which we'll talk about, and I think that that's just uh, really like a crazy picture and, and kind of like instructional almost. Um, and seeing you know how how he says you know the God of this world blinds um, from seeing the light of the gospel, and he's saying how Michael pointed out um, that this veil doesn't apply to them. It doesn't apply to believers, you know, which we can also partake in that 
and not being blinded from this light uh, that we're trying to see of the gospel, which will help us, you know, attain some of these other things that um, Paul is talking about. But let's jump into five and six before we move on to these jars of clay. Yeah, so I'm just, I have two things that are kind of condemning or judgmental from Paul with these two verses, and then two positive things, and then you can jump into them as you want and then get into the, the next section. So the two negative things I would say is, first, is he's saying we don't proclaim ourselves and we are servants or slaves to Jesus, and this is in light of his suffering. So think about already, he's already having trouble in the first few chapters explaining to them like the scandal of the cross, the scandal of grace, the fact that the suffering servant Jesus, who is Lord of all, is the one who suffered and died. First Corinthians chapter 1 says the cross is foolishness to the world. And so if this is all true, think about how Paul relates to Jesus if he's suffering as well. He said, if, I mean, if you don't want the suffering servant as your savior, you will not want the suffering apostle as your minister. And so if we think about it in terms of that, that is going against what the Corinthians or the, at least the false teachers at Corinth are convincing people of. And the second implication was that if you don't see Jesus as the image of God from verse four, you're not even going to see God at all. You can't see God if you don't see his image on earth. And so those would be the two negatives. And the two positives would be that think about first how Paul speaks so frequently in one passage about the intersection of transcendent godly glory, which we love to think about, and apostolic uh, disciple suffering, which we don't like to think about. And I just think about um, what well, we were talking, I was talking about this last night with a group, um, but think about Philippians chapter one. Uh, Paul says, let me find it. Paul says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to them that they would suffer. And so it has been told to them, hey, you're going to suffer, but it's a privilege. When God is uh, the root of what you're doing and the gospel, getting the gospel to the world is your primary objective, suffering is an opportunity, uh, not something to, you know, just be upset about. And then the second point I would just say before I pass it back off to Andre is that in verse six, God's saying, let light shine out of darkness. He's quoting or paraphrasing Genesis chapter one. And so this is going to come apparent in chapter five, verse 17 next week, when Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And so he's saying, just as God has shined a light and created the world, he has illuminated our hearts and shined the gospel into them. And so we're a new creation in the Lord Jesus. Absolutely. I, mean, I don't really have anything else to add there, but I think what I do think is is interesting is is how uh, the things that you just talked about kind of connects um, into you know verses seven and beyond uh, to the to the rest of this chapter, and where um, the connection is 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 in you know that point you made about suffering, and whereas it kind of in this in this beginning section like in, in verse three where it says um, he's talking about those who are perishing, I think that here he's talking more a little bit about, you know, the perishing of the mind, the soul, that, that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, now as he's talking about the suffering and, you know, just the, the burdens physical and otherwise that, um, believers, um, himself as, as an apostle, um, the, you know, the persecution that, you know, he's talking about that, you know, Christians are going to face. He's talking now about like this deterioration of, of the body and, and, um, due to, you know, he's talking about the suffering and, you know, as we've talked about, you know, that partaking of, of suffering uh, in Christ, 
um, and he talks about um, these jars of clay, and um, he talks about you know as you know Michael said um, you know the glory of God and you know holding on to that be and that treasure uh, that we have, and he says uh, you know okay so in verse seven but we have this treasure that we we've been talking about in jars of clay and the commentary that I was reading out of. Um, really focused on this this next part to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us and really just uh, comparing the you know immense treasure that Paul is talking about here to just you know how uh, fragile and how brittle um, a jar of clay is and how uh, you know the, the treasure that it's holding is so much greater and far surpasses in power to to just this you know measly little jar of clay. Uh, the vessel that is, you know, holding what's within it, which is, you know, so much uh, greater um, than, than uh, you know, the vessel itself. And, and talking about how, uh, you know, we are that, uh, that vessel, that jar of clay, and, you know, that power that's within us because of Jesus is, is so much greater than us um, and, and kind of goes along with, you know, what, what, you know Paul's teachings of, of us, you know, not boasting. Um, and I think that, you know, in conversation with Michael, was talking about this point uh, that was made in the contrary right, right before we started recording about how uh, had you know mankind been some kind of greater um, not non brittle non jar of clay uh, vessel you know that that need for God would have would have not been there and um, you know Michael made this you know really seems like a simple but also really great point about how you know that's what happened with Adam and Eve you know there was no death in the equation and, and so they wanted to be like God and, and they rebelled um, and that's kind of the point that was being made in this commentary and I, I think that that's just like such great imagery of you know how we should really view ourselves in comparison to how we view uh, the power and glory of of what's you know within us. Man, that's really good. I'm going to lightly contrast the glory of what you just said or the goodness of what you just said with the funny fact that we're through seven verses and it's been almost 30 minutes. So Andre said right before we started, right before he clicked record, I think this is going to be a short episode. So I'll just point that out that we are less than half the verses. So let's let's move through. Do um, you care if we move through the next few verses a little bit quicker? Yeah, for sure. All right, so I'm just going to try to summarize 8 through 12, and then I want to spend a little bit of time in the later section, but you can add anything to 8 to 11 that you want and then move on. But in 8 to 11, I would just say he's purposely making a bunch of comparisons between, I mean, you think afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken. Think of the forsaken imagery of Jesus on the cross. Uh, uh, Struck down but not destroyed carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested. Well, if there's death and life, he's he's thinking death and resurrection. If I participate and die to myself in Christ, even if I physically die, I'm going to be resurrected and Jesus's life is going to shine through my suffering and his death, his suffering leads to life in other people. Yeah, man, that's really good. And, and just uh, in verse 12, as, as we look forward to and finish out the chapter, uh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. So he's saying, uh, you know, just as the suffering uh, Jesus experienced in Jesus' death um, is vital to uh, eternal life for all of humanity. Um, he, you know, he's saying that, you know, the suffering uh, that he's talking about here, uh, the things in, in verses 8 and 9 that Michael was talking about, uh, that's, 
and work in Paul and uh, the apostles and, and in Christians. And he says, but life in you. So he's saying that, you know, these sufferings that Paul is going through, and he's going to keep talking about this, totally worth it because it results in um, a few things, which, you know, I'll just jump into. But in, in verse uh, 15, uh, he says, for is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So kind of think back to an episode we had in season one or season two, um, I think, where we talked about, you know, uh, some of, you know, the, the reasons, uh, the theology for, you know, spreading the gospel for the Great Commission, um, and some of the, you know, points Michael made there. So think back to that episode, um, increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. So he's he's saying the suffering um, is all necessary. Um, it's it's going to happen, but it's also necessary. And, you know, why is that? Uh, so that more people may experience grace. Yeah, this, this, I really like how you connected to the Great Commission. This 13 through 15, I mean, if something's not, uh, if something's Pauline, it's this. If something in is true of what Paul does, it's this. You think of Romans 10. If nobody preaches the gospel, how are they going to hear? And so this is 13 through 15. He quotes Psalm 116, verse 10. Uh, I believed and so I spoke. He's saying, I have that same uh, faith. We have that same faith. We also believe and so we speak. So in verses 13 to 15, Andre read 15, but in verse 14, we see what influences his evangelism or his proclamation of the gospel. He knows that Jesus was raised from the dead and they will be raised also. And so God, again, in verse 6, we see our own new creation individually, corporately, however you want to look at it. But God has recreated us in Jesus. But God's not interested in you being illuminated or recreated for your own self. He's interested in you being recreated and illuminated and brought to faith in Jesus so that you can go proclaim the gospel. And in Paul's mind, what does that mean? As grace is shown to more and more people, so we proclaim the gospel and show them grace and suffer for their sake. Therefore, follow the, the train of thought, so that proclaiming the gospel and suffering for their sake leads to grace being extended to more people, which leads to them being more thankful, which leads to God getting the glory. And so God's not interested in our Christianity that is a self-illuminating private faith. He's interested in us sharing the gospel no matter where it is, no matter what the implications are. So I was thinking recently sharing the gospel with this guy who basically thought, you know, if I feel like when you turn to God, um, he, everything, like a lot of luck starts to happen. Things start to go your way. Well, that would have been a false concept to Paul, who uh, was really ambitious and uh, fervent in following the Lord. And from a worldly perspective, nothing started to go his way. And so we have to know that the implications are not often what people want to hear, but we still have to proclaim that. And so God is saving us for his glory among the people. I mean, John Piper, I think, wrote a book called this, but in Psalm 67, it says, let the nations be glad and shout for joy. And so that's our goal is that our faith is made so that we extend grace to other people. They're thankful to God and it glorifies God. Yeah, so in, in the first section, you know, uh, we talked about, um, you know, God's glory shining on uh, our hearts, how Paul's talking about that. Amongst other things here, you know, he's talking about the suffering um, and how, you know, you know, speaking um, about, you know, uh, the, you know, grace of God and glory of God, how that's going to result in also glory to God because more people will experience grace. And then, you know, he re-says in verse 16, so these two things, and then so we do not lose heart. You know, he repeats it. We saw it in verse 1. We see it again here. 
I mean, he says, uh, you know, even though, you know, the suffering is, is going on, even though the outer self is wasting away, um, the inner self will be renewed or is being renewed uh, day by day. Um, and I just think that's uh, really awesome uh, there. And then um, just because, um, you know, it says it, it kind of like paints this like really crazy uh, picture that, you know, even though we age and, and you know, are slowly progressing towards death, um, our inner self, you know, is renewed and refreshed, uh, thanks to the Holy Spirit day by day. And, uh, there's that constant, uh, renewal that happens. Um, and it's, and the way how I kind of thought about it was, you know, it says day by day. And it kind of like, that kind of gives me like that sense of like progression where it's like, yes, it's a renewal, which would make you think like, oh, like you're going to just go back kind of to where you were. But I think that this like progression kind of idea also kind of points to, uh, you know, the one degree of glory to another that we talked about last time. Yes. How it's, it's a renewal, but it's also like a progression, right? So it's like you're renewing, you know, but also I, I get this like really great sense of, you know, this move forward. And he um, even talks about that um, moving on into verse 17 and verse 18. Um, but he's saying how this uh, is a preparation for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he t talks even more so about this progression uh, this preparation, uh, this suffering, and, and this affliction, it, uh, there's a reason for that. Um, it's And it's not just uh, so that other people may, may hear the gospel and, and um, more people may experience grace, although it is because of that. And it's also not just, um, the, the, you know, the, the things he talked about in the first section, uh, but it's also this preparation uh, so that one day we may experience um, glory, uh, through Christ, and you know, he talks about how this is beyond all comparison. Uh, that's really what Paul's working towards, and that's what he's urging them to work towards. Yeah, man, I don't have much to add to that. I just throw a term, maybe on your analysis of verse sixteen: progressive sanctification. We aren't, we don't become Christians and then we're perfect in one day. We're progressively sanctified day in, day out, year in, year out, uh, and that will be eternally realized in our resurrection spiritual bodies that Paul talks about in First Corinthians fifteen. And I know. And I know uh, verse 18 is one of your favorites, so I'll let you uh, take that one and, and close this out. Yeah, man, I just think about all the time, you're just so focused on exactly what you can see. And that's part of the reason why prayer is so hard for us, because it's not about sight. Your eyes, are, I mean, typically, unless you're driving, your eyes are closed, and you're focused on the Lord, who your prayer doesn't seem like the productive thing in the day. And I'm pretty sure Martin Luther is ascribed to saying like, I'm too busy not to be praying three hours a day or something like that. And you think about what Luther was doing in his time uh, in the 16th century. And so that's just crazy. But I think I really love the language in verse 17 of the weight of glory. And so I don't have much to add, except that I would say, uh, Thinking about how Paul's living not for what's seen but what's unseen is what J.D. Greer uh, in his new book, What Are You Gonna, What Are You Going to Do with Your Life? He has a chapter where he talks about live in such a way that only makes sense if the gospel is true and Jesus was raised from the dead. If if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then your life should make no sense. But since you believe Jesus was raised from the dead, live in a way that like otherwise it would look stupid. 
And so I think that actually gets to what Paul is saying, that we aren't looking to the temporary, we're looking to the eternal. So to people that are only focused on the transient, we should be a people who look completely different than that because we're looking to things that are eternal, things that are unseen. And so that's how I'd conclude the episode. On Thursday, we have an awesome interview coming out with Dr. Carl Truman. And I will just throw in there that while we were recording, Andre typed to me on our interview document, he's too smart. And so uh, you remember that? I do remember that. Yep. So that's coming out on Thursday. I agree with Andre. Dr. Truman's insight is magnificent. And so we hope you enjoy that interview as well. Have a great week.